Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Hello, and welcome to Reimagining Motion, a podcast from the High Volume Transport Applied Research Program, which is undertaking research into the complex and interrelated issues of sustainable transport across Africa and South Asia. The High Volume Transport Applied Research Program, HVT, is an 18 million pound investment by the UK Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office, FCDO. I'm Holger Dogman, your host for today's session. Welcome. Research is telling us that transport is not inclusive and urgently needs to change. This is a case across the world, but particularly in low and middle income countries. Accessible public transport, as well as safe infrastructure for walking and cycling are essential for people to access education, employment and healthcare, as well as social contact with family, friends and the wider community. The ability to move and travel independently is fundamental to breaking the downward spiral of dependence and poverty and to building strong communities and economies. In the third series of Reimagining Motion, we'll shine a light on the inequalities across the transport sector and explore how those currently excluded need to not only be the beneficiaries of development, but more importantly, that they're agents of change driving that development. In today's episode, we will be speaking with Bright Oyabara, who is passionately advocating for issues related to road transport and safety and disability since 1997, when she was involved in a road crash causing disability that resulted in her having to use a wheelchair. She has worked in different organizations, including the National Transport and Safety Authority and TSA in Kenya, where she served as a vice chairperson for six years. And as a board member at the International Road Victims Partnership and the vice board chairperson for the Association for the Physically Disabled of Kenya. In recent years, she worked at Assert Kenya as executive director, where issues of inclusion for road crash victims were at the center of her work. Her advocacy work is both at national and global level. So welcome, Bright. How are you doing? Thank you. Great. So, Bright, we have heard in our podcast series that there's a lack of inclusive transport. It's a global issue and can be seen in many different ways around the world. Your work focuses particularly on your home country of Kenya and would love to bring out that perspective, particularly today. So let's dive immediately into that. So in Kenya... 2019, there were about nearly 1 million people have some form of disability. Persons with physical challenges represent the highest proportion, followed by those with visual impairments. So to what extent would you say is this large group of people in your country is experienced accessible and inclusive transport? Hmm. Really, the people with uh, disabilities and their different forms of disability, and I like the fact that uh, you mentioned more than one, we are not experiencing uh, accessible or inclusive transport. There's a lot of injustice that is meted against uh, people with disabilities. They are denied the choices because transport is not accessible. You are hindered to going to school, work, hospitals, social amenities. The kind of transport that we have hasn't uh, put to thought for example, wheelchair users, visually impaired people. So by and large, people with disabilities are not uh, experiencing that accessibility and inclusivity as far as transport is concerned. So what would you say are the key major barriers and challenges that person with disabilities facing? The challenges are vast and they range from policy to infrastructure and many others. For example, from the policy perspective, there is... Um, 
some things on paper, but there's lack of implementation, there's lack of coordination, and there's also uh, not much involvement of persons with disability in that policymaking process. And even when there are attempts to rectify this, enforcement is very low. The major ones would be the issues of infrastructure. For a person using a wheelchair like myself, you'll find that there are no sidewalks or where they are, they have an even surfaces sometimes. And sometimes they're so well done, but then there is obstruction. That's where the traders find place to do their business or parking lot for, for motorcycle riders who are also taxi drivers. The bus stops are very also uneven. You find that uh, they are missing linkages, like from one terminal to another. So you could be get off from a bus here and you're not able to get into the next place because of that those barriers. There's also the lack of signage for those that are visually impaired. The sign, uh, the, the signs that are there cannot be seen. There's no audio, so it is very difficult. There's also the issue of uh, the design of the vehicles themselves. You find that uh, the matatus are the main kind of uh, transport, which are uh, uh, paratransit buses, minibuses, and they, they have a step, almost all of them at the entry, and there's no ramp. So that just inhibits a person on a wheelchair. There's also lack of information. The bus stops do not have audio information. People who are deaf, for example, uh, people who are blind, um, for the deaf, the, the, the vehicles are not labeled. So that when the conductors are calling out, they are not able to hear what they're saying. So that becomes an issue. There's also an issue of cost. A wheelchair user may pay twice or three times as much as anyone else if they're using public transport because there's no room for keeping the wheelchair. So you may have to pay for one more seat. And if you have an aid, then you pay the bus fare for that other person. And there's also time loss. You may be at a bus stop for so long, just waiting for any transport that will take you. And because normally you're at the bus stop at a rush hour, you're going to work or you're going to uh, whatever else that you may be going, the bus driver and conductor will find you as a waste of time because they're in a hurry and you may need assistance because there's no ramp. So you also lose time just waiting and waiting. And I know people who waited at bus stops for more than an hour just waiting for who would help them get in. The fares also are a problem. They are unregulated. So when it rains or when it's peak hours, they change arbitrarily. And uh, knowing from the data we have, most people with disability really live not so far from the poverty line. So when fares are not predictable, then that becomes a problem. There's also the, the issue of cost as far as now having to revert to private taxes. And those are expensive, those are charged per mileage or per kilometer. And again, that just becomes out of the way for persons with disability. And then also there are issues of discrimination. Uh, just like I said, not everyone would want to stop their vehicle, lift you up, get you into the bus, come for your wheelchair, put it on another seat. And so because of that, we are called like a waste of time. And sometimes there are visually impaired people who might need help once they get to their bus stop. They would request the conductor, please help me cross over, and that would also be not there. And so there's harassment sometimes, get, uh, people being shoved out of the way because they become a bother. Uh, inappropriate language has happened. And sometimes in cases where the bus operators have accepted to help, there's inappropriate touching. So there's actually abuse there. And also just the fact that living in a city like I do, 
there's that heavy traffic, uh, vehicular traffic. So moving from one place to another again becomes uh, an issue. So with all that, you find that there's uh, mixed uh, missed opportunities because uh, we miss on education, economic activities, we miss on social activities just because of those barriers. And there could be many more, but uh, yeah, those are the major ones. And you listed a lot, actually, from former already policies to infrastructure to specific challenges and also harassment at the, at the same time. So let's dive into some of these challenges, but also share any positive experience where you feel like are things moving. So let's probably start with, to clarify also for the our listeners, you live, in fact, in, in, in Nairobi, so one of the cities in Africa yep. so with a large share of uh, the use of power transit so of uh, mm-hmm. matatus which are 14 seaters capacity buses and uh, dominating modes so you you raise those to some of the of the challenges but in short what do you think needs to happen or is already also happening uh, which also can improve the situation for people with disabilities particularly for this type of mode mm-hmm. uh, like you rightfully meant matatus are uh, dominate the public transport space. And these are private businesses. They are not uh, government run. So you can imagine they run, everybody runs their business the way they they see fit. And so persons disability lack choices. So what can happen is uh, if higher capacity buses can be put in place, buses that will be able to accommodate all forms of disability. Like I said earlier, disability is not homogeneous. There are various types. There's a physical, visual, there's a deaf, there's mental, there are many others. So if if buses that are higher capacity and have more space and accommodative are able to be put in place, then I believe that would be a good way in terms of the Matatu people continuing to be in their business, making their profit, but at the same time catering for everyone. So that's what I would say about Matatus, so that we do not have, as people with disability, to depend on the benevolence of just some few operators who are kind-hearted. So if that can be sorted out in terms of design of the vehicles and the capacity so that it's accommodative, that will go a long way in uh, ensuring that public transport becomes a little more comfortable. Oh, thanks. Thanks for sharing that. And and let's dive a little bit deeper into the, the question of walking or actually moving around in the infrastructure with the lack of the right pavements. As we see or heard, so that up to 90% of people get around every day by foot and it's uh, the afford- most affordable way, but it's also the biggest challenge for people with wheelchairs. Is there any good example you experience where different types of design is applied is there awareness of that is there a move to change yes uh seemingly there's been a push and if i look at nairobi where i live the capital city there has been efforts in some of the streets to create spaces for walking and cycling uh crossings that are there's even one when i've seen where there's an audio that at a zebra crossing therefore a person that is visually impaired is able to know when to stop and when to move so there have been some pockets of progress as far as uh that is concerned there, there are talks around having the, the BRT system working. There are lanes that have already been identified by the government. It's just that it's taking a bit too long. But that is uh, the hope that we are all looking to, 
in terms of ensuring that uh, then that situation is made a little bit more comfortable in terms of mobility for persons that have different disabilities. Now, I had to smile because uh, um, when I was the first time mid of 90s, I was in Nairobi, there was already was a discussion around the BRT and it uh, has, uh, has been a long time, but hopefully it's, it's moving forward in an accessible manner with all the lessons learned from other places. But we spoke earlier in the preparation, so you you, you had a road crash in, in 1997. You are, in fact, in a, in a wheelchair. So, and you said you're comfortable about talking about that. So share a little bit more about your personal experience, how it's like to move around every day in Nairobi and what are your personal biggest challenges? Okay, yeah. I uh, was involved in a road crash about 26 years ago uh, that put me in a wheelchair and I've been a wheelchair user since. So everything was spoken about, I identify with. When I have to travel, whether it's a short distance or a long distance, there is a lot of planning that goes into it. I almost have to like map out my journey in my head before I get out of the house. And sometimes even as I map it out, I still have to encounter the challenges. Even when I get into a private taxi, at some point, I will still need to be on the road and interact with this very unfriendly uh, infrastructure. You could be on a pavement, for example, and uh, I am wheeling on a wheelchair and it just comes to an abrupt stop. I, I have to go back and look for an alternative route. So right from when I leave my house, the absence of curbs, the quality of the footpaths that I have to use, the uneven surfaces, the presence of these un unexpected obstacles in most residential areas. So while there are some places, for example, in the middle of town that you would be getting accessible passageways like the newly done non-motorized transport footpaths, but I need to leave my house to be able to enjoy that, which is in the middle, like in the middle of town. So these are some of the challenges that every day getting into a public vehicle, just like uh, the barriers that I, will, I, we, I spoke about earlier, is impossible. So either you own a vehicle, which is expensive, or you use taxis, which is even very expensive. So mobility is a very, very, very expensive thing for me as a person using a wheelchair. So talking about frustration in, in that respect, you also become an advocate for a long time. So do you see progress? Do you see the awareness or you feel just as the frustration saying, well, I'm, I'm doing also this awareness and we have the data and we have, have the research and we have the design, but nothing happened. So where are you? Is the glass half full or half empty? It is half full. Actually, it is half full. The fact that we are talking about these things, even at government level, the fact that there's a policy, even uh, the non-motorized policy, uh, the Nairobi level, the fact that cities like there's Kisumu, there is Mombasa, that are beginning to embrace this uh, non-motorized transport. And non-motorized transport usually would help with the mobility of people like on wheelchairs. Uh, it, it means that we are, be, and we're talking about the BRT, we're talking about the larger capacity, as much as we're talking about the fairing of goods and services, we are also talking about inclusivity because those buses, as I have seen them framed, would come with those facilities. So there's progress in terms of the frameworks, in terms of the paperwork, something has happened, but that now needs to be translated to intervention. <laughs> 
In the preparation, I, I, I read her so that Kenya already put her so persons with disabilities in their constitution in 2010, and there was a Disability Act in 2003 saying that this person of disability has a right to barrier-free and disability-friendly environment. You spoke at the beginning about the challenges in terms of policies are there, if I understood you correctly, but it's about mm -hmm. the lack of implementation. So talk me through mm -hmm. a little bit about that. Yeah, you rightly say that the, our constitution is very progressive uh, on paper. Kenya is also has ratified the Commission for Rights of Persons with Disability and access issues are very, very expressly dealt with there. We even have a Disability Act uh, that was put in place in 2003. So it is a positive thing that we have that framework. The unfortunate part is just uh, that largely that these policies are not being implemented. Because if they were implemented, the, the, the access, the reasonable access, and they put it as reasonable access, would be seen at least on pavements, would be seen with the design of the vehicles, would be seen with the higher capacity buses that are accommodative. So there is a gap definitely there as much as uh, the policy framework is there, which is a good thing, because without that, then implementation becomes uh, uh, difficult. So where, where is then there is a specific issue? Is it like, obviously, policymakers are somehow aware? Is it about is it the lack of capacity, the lack of finance? Where is it to address that? And you worked also for a set of, of influential organizations. So uh, what, what needs to be done now? Uh, there's a bit of all those in the sense that uh, in our lawmaking process in Kenya, if a law is passed, for example, in parliament, then it goes to the ministry that is involved with that particular issue. And then usually there are regulations that is to, to make the law operational. And then there is the implementation. Sometimes it gets stuck at that place of the regulation. So uh, what needs to happen? I believe there's a lot more work that we need to do as advocates, for example, and create the demand for these things to be actualized. Because I see uh, politicians being very responsive to demand from the public. So that's one thing we can do. But by and large, the, there is what is on paper but there is the dissemination of this information, breaking it into pieces to make sense to implementers. And, and that then has to include the people with disability because them being the users. So there is actually need to bridge that gap between policy and implementation. And this has to come with a lot of advocacy, which we are continuing to do. I know colleagues who've done research, very specific research in terms of access to public transportation. And this is the information we are now using because again, advocacy without information, without data, then it just becomes good wishes and making noise. So we are working around that. We are using the data that we have and we are getting new information that's coming in to continue to advocate and to push for implementation. The high volume transport program is in fact is one of the programs actually supporting researchers in the global south and, and to support knowledge around inclusivity and also addressing issues also for people with disabilities. What would be also your take? What, what is needed? Where is more investment needs to be done on, on research? Where is the knowledge gap where policymakers or actually advocates need more information? I think research that is inclusive of persons with disability themselves. There is something that we can 
do about persons with disability, but there's also the involvement. And I'll give the example as I, as I, as I answer that. There is a, a road that we did, a very basic survey, a road that has walk, some walkways, has bridges, but people weren't using it. These are not even just people with disability. Generally, the people weren't using it. So we did a survey with about 100 people who live near the road and have lived there for the past 10 years to just find out why it is that they will not use the bridges that have been provided. And the reasons were varied. And they included the fact that they were not consulted. There's no way they were going to walk 100 meters to live where they are at, where is the busy, the busy marketplace, to walk for 100 meters just to go and cross a road. They would rather risk their lives and cross right here. So if they were involved, I think the communities would be able to tell these are marketplaces, this is where the population, this is, this is where it would be more convenient to put a bridge or it. So consultation, consultation with the user is very critical. So research that is done, that is academic, that is theoretical, might not be helpful. Implementation that is also done from that perspective may not be helpful, but that which is inclusive. I have seen in some countries uh, where there are working groups for people with disability on transportation. So they come up with the issues, they come up with what they need, and then they present it as a policy paper, and then it's processed. It's embedded as part of the uh, policy-making process. Thanks so for, for sharing that and sharing us that example and highlighting the importance of, of actually including people with disabilities in planning, but also in, in better understanding and designing. We, we talked about policymakers. We touched a little bit also on the operators of, of Matatus. And so, and you spoke about also the importance of the civil society. So, what do you think? Who are actually the key stakeholders which need to be involved and who you want to also encourage more to take more action? First and foremost, as key stakeholders, government must remain the main stakeholder and must remain focused on the bid to have inclusivity because it is a right of every citizen to access transport. The civil society have played a very critical role, whether it is on political matters, whether it is on rights matters, whether it's on governance matters. And I think that uh, the, the civil society in the road safety space and transport space maybe need to amplify our voices a little bit more so that the issues that we know work, because we have experience from elsewhere, can be embedded into policy and into action. But most importantly, people with disabilities ourselves, uh, we need to be part of that whole process, from the needs assessment to the planning, to the conceptualization, to even implementation of some of this um, uh, policy works. Reason being that um, we understand these things better. We may not be, have the technical know-how, but if our experiences are used to be translated into technical focuses, then possibilities would be that would end up with a transport system that works for everyone. Academia also needs to be a little more involved in terms of uh, engaging government negating some of the myths. For example, I've heard that it's it's very expensive to, to, to do some of these things. And yet, it's, it is my belief that it's not necessarily, uh, it is not the expense factor. It's just the prioritization factor. And also the understanding that um, 
uh, inclusive mobility, inclusive transportation works for everyone. So all these forces coming together, including even the private sector, because um, some of these uh, private sector people are truckers, uh, who are people that are very would be very interested in this space, and the insurance companies as well. Because, for example, when I when people are, are killed or they're injured. It is the brunt of the matter uh, in terms of compensation goes to the insurance. So this is something that they would, they should be able to be very involved if they are looking at the bottom line, so that uh, we have access, we have less f- uh, fatalities on the road, and that just means that they will have more profit. So all this community of people need to work together, not at loggerheads, not in competition, but in collaboration. And that has been the problem. People have been working in silos. The civil society has their silo. The government is in silo. So we need we need to break these bridges and bring us together so that we can see the, these issues from different perspectives, but with one goal. Thank you so much for, for sharing that and uh, including also the, the issue of bridging the different communities, but the issue of becoming that inclusive transport actually works for works for. Thank you so much also for taking your time. Wonderful. It has been great also talking to you and best of luck with your work and uh, continue also the excellent work you're doing. Thank you. It's been great have, uh, speaking to you. Thank you very much. So thank you for listening to this episode. Uh, if you'd like to find out more about the work of our guests and any of the resources, please check out the links in the description. I always encourage you to listen to the other episodes in the series. Also, you can leave us a rating, hopefully a good one, and a review. It really helps others find our podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the work of the High Volume Transport, you can check out our website at transport-links.com or or follow us on Twitter at transport underscore links or on LinkedIn at High Volume Transport Applied Research Program. The High Volume Transport Applied Research Program, HVT, is an 18 million pound investment by the UK Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office, FCDO. The program's new body of research aims to help inform decisions of policymakers in low-income countries and make road and rail transport greener, safe, and more accessible and affordable. My name is Holger Dogman and you have been listening to Reimagining Motion. Thank you. Stay and travel safe wherever you are. Goodbye and I'll be you soon.